are in the, the year of the Bible, and in case you don't know what that means, uh, there is a, a, a version of the Bible, a, a, a type of Bible that's called the one-year Bible. And what they do is they take a reading out of the Psalms and Proverbs and New and Old Testament, and every day you get a nice package to read, all right? And what happens is uh, once the year is done, guess what? You've read the whole Bible. And so that's what we're in. And what we're doing each week is we're looking back to a prior story or a theme and, uh, and teaching about it on Sundays. And so it's, it's been exciting. It's been fun. Uh, it's been awesome to read the Bible. And maybe some of you have never done it before, but you, reading it in context, all right, where you start on one end and just work your way through it. You're able to uh, kind of understand it more than, than just cracking the Bible wide open and somewhere random and reading some Levitical law. Right? It's just, you have no idea. I don't, why do they keep talking about the long lobe of the liver or the kidney or whatever? You know what I'm saying? And if you don't know what that is, then you aren't reading Leviticus. Uh, all right. So we're, we're continuing in this. And today we're going to be talking about, like I said earlier, we talk about King David. And now King David, his story, we're not going to talk about his whole story because if we did, we would see three o'clock, okay? It's a long story, but we're gonna learn some things from him today and be encouraged. Uh, but I got a question. How many of you um, have ever said at the end of your life, you'd like to look back and just have no regrets, right? I mean, I just like to look back in my life and just say I have no regrets. I love um, generic sayings, g- generic like Instagram quotes um, because they're just so funny. Because you'll read one, like for instance, you'll read one that says, it says, live life with no regrets. And that sounds so good. It really does. Live life with no regrets. But if you keep searching and you keep looking, you'll eventually find another saying that completely contradicts it. Such as, uh, if you live a life with no regrets, then you didn't live a life worth living. <laughs> and, and so on one side, you're, if you have regrets, then you're ashamed. On the other side, if you don't have regrets, you're ashamed. So either way, regretful or not, you didn't live your life right. That's basically where you end up at a place where it's, you know, but I want to add my two cents. So here's my statement, is that regret is inevitable. Regret is inevitable, all right? Like you are going to lay down on your deathbed one day and you're going to think back in your life and you're going to think about all the things that you would have done different. It's impossible. It's impo- you're going to have a measure of regret. I mean, come on, right now we're all sitting here. We could all think back probably about a day. And we would regret things that we said, things that we did. You know, I look back at my life and I have a, I have a few regrets. I, I really regret, I regret not becoming a Patriots fan. I'm going to be honest. I was thinking back, like some of my biggest regrets and uh, I know, I thought about you, Jason. I thought about you. Because if I would have chosen to become a Patriots bandwagon fan, like basically all the Patriots fans today, I would have been able to enjoy years of quality football. I would be able to root every year for some sort of Super Bowl champ or playoff something. But instead, instead, um, I made the wrong decision to be a Saints fan. Really did. Look, it's off, we're off season. It's okay to be honest, all right? <laughs> like, we regret it. I mean, we had two or three decent years, and now we're back to watching the draft. If you're watching the draft hoping that your team becomes good, you're not in a good place. <laughs> Bottom line, all right? 
I regret that, but I do not regret. I do not regret jumping on very soon, very early to the Golden State Warriors bandwagon. That, I don't regret that. Oh man, I am, I'm my whole life, my whole life a Golden State fan. Uh, how many of you guys do not know that the Golden State Warriors are in the NBA Finals right now? Come on, just be honest. That's what I figured based on the laughter. You know, how many of you guys have not watched one NBA final game? There it is. There it is. That's a problem. You know, my illustrations just aren't going to matter to you guys. You're like, where's Golden State? You know, in case you didn't know, a couple nights ago was literally one of the best NBA final games in history. Like, I'm talking, I mean, I'm not a LeBron fan by any, by any means. Any means. I was, I was like, First Cleveland LeBron fan. Went to Miami, nah, no. But I am a KD fan. I don't understand, how could it be a Kevin Durant fan? Because he did the same. I'm really not getting anywhere right now, but these are important issues. These are important issues. You just needed to establish these rules. But uh, (laughs) I don't really, I do regret those like in my fanhood, but not in real life, okay? I really don't regret those, although every year, you know, around the Super Bowl, I'm just hardly watching it for the game because the Saints are not there. So there's certain things you're gonna, certain decisions you're gonna make where you're just gonna regret it. There's nothing you can do about it, all right? But so here's the deal. Regret is inevitable, but success is not. And, and that's kind of the big, the, the big statement that we're gonna really launch off of today. You are gonna look back if you aren't right now already, you're gonna look back and you're gonna regret certain things in your life. But those things do not determine whether or not you're successful or not. And again, we're going to look at King David because King David had one of the worst lives you could possibly think of. Like it was really good whenever he was young. He made a lot of great decisions. Uh, I mean, he was, he was anointed king above all of his other brothers, even though he wasn't the oldest. He wasn't the best looking. He wasn't the, the, the we wouldn't have chose him, right? But he was chosen. He was anointed Y'all remember David and Goliath where, I mean, he took that stone, slung it, killed a giant. He, I mean, lives in infamy just because of that. I mean, David had a lot of things going on. He becomes king. And you know what? He's doing a lot of great things. Things are moving forward. But then he begins to make some bad decisions. And those are the bad decisions, those things that we're going to look at today and learn from. And so we're going to pick up in 1 Kings chapter 2. And it, what we're, what we're going to do is we're going to read King David's charge to his son Solomon. Solomon's, uh, David's at the end of his life and Solomon's about to become king. And David's giving his, kind of like some of his last words. Now, how many of you know that the last words you speak or someone speaks are extremely important? They're basically talking from experience. But the thing about King David is that in his last words, there was a tone of regret. There was, a, there was a, if you really think about his whole life and then you read the things that he said, you feel like there was some regret in, in the things that he was saying. And so he's telling his, his son Solomon these things. We're going to pick up at chapter 2, verse 1. It says, as the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. He says, I'm going where everyone on earth must someday go. He's about to die. And he says, take courage and be a man. Take courage and be a man. And, and whenever he says this again, in light of his whole life, you have to think back and you have to think, what is he talking about? 
and realize that he's talking to his son. So I picture him looking at Solomon saying, son, listen, listen to me. I want you to, you need to take courage and be a man. Whenever you go to war, be a man. Take courage. Make the hard calls. Whenever you're faced with those hard decisions, make the hard call. But I also believe he was saying, son, take courage, be a man, and own your mistakes. Because I didn't always own my mistakes. Own your mistakes. And I, I can't help but think that he was probably thinking about Bathsheba. In case you don't know the story, this is what took place. David was supposed to go to war. It was the time of year wherever kings went to war with their, with their men. They go and they fight battles and they conquer. But for whatever reason, David stays back. And it says one day after one of his naps, he gets up, which is, I mean, just think about it. You got to picture this. The king is supposed to be at battle, but instead he's taking a nap. All right, that's a hard person to follow right there. All right, I would have trouble going give my life for someone who's taking a nap while I'm out there. You know what I'm saying? But that's what he does. He, he takes a nap. He gets up and he goes on, the, goes on his roof and he looks out and he sees a woman named Bathsheba. And Bathsheba is, is taking a bath. All right, it's part of her name. And so he sees her. <laughs> that's just all she did. Just, she takes a lot of baths, Bathsheba. David sees her and he wants her. And so he's a king. So he goes and he takes her. He gets her pregnant. And now he's got this situation. Okay, he compromised, number one. He should have been at war and he wasn't. That compromise set up this situation here where he's got to cover it up. So this is his plan. He's already done something bad, right? He's already, he's already got this woman pregnant. She's married to a man named Uriah who's out fighting because that's where all the men are, right? Not David. He brings Uriah back. He says, look, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get Uriah all drunk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send him home. And he's going to get with his wife and then they'll think that it was his kid and, and, and nobody will look at me, right? Well, he does that. Uriah had a little bit too much honor for that. And what Uriah does is he sleeps on the front doorstep of David's house. And he wouldn't go home to his wife. And he did it twice. And uh, David's plan was foiled, okay? <laughs> he's like, why wouldn't you go home? And so then David makes another mistake by trying to cover it up. And he sends Uriah to the front lines. He sends Uriah to the front lines because he knew he's probably going to get killed. And that's exactly what takes place. Uriah goes to the front lines and gets killed. It's basically murder. He knew exactly what he was doing. So he compromises. He, cover ups, he, he covers up the mistake. And then he's at a place where I really felt that, I think that David felt that everything was good. I, you know, how many of you guys have ever done that where you've, you've made a mistake and so you cover it up and you lie and then there's this silence for a while and you feel like you're okay. Like, maybe, maybe nobody knows. You know, I did that in fourth grade. I, I, uh, I cheated one time in my life in school. One time, and I was in fourth grade and we started four digit multiplication. That's difficult, all right? Four digits, I mean, it's all four on top. You look, it's just numbers. And uh, so I had a good idea, I was gonna use a calculator. <clears throat> Well, a good liar would have showed the work, right? No, 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 not this one. Not this professional liar. I just got a calculator and da, 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 times da, 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 and I just wrote the answer. And I felt like I was really quick in homework that night. Brought homework next day to my teacher, and um, I felt like everything was good. And then all of a sudden, 
like a little bit later in the day, the teacher came up and he said, uh, hey, Jordan, did you show your work anywhere? And I was just like, <laughs> I used a calculator. I was terrible. I was not built for lying. It's just not, it's not in my makeup. I'm not that good at it. And so I cried and uh, yeah, I got whipped for it the whole nine yards. Uh, just, just crying. It was terrible, you know. But guess what? I never used a calculator again. Until I could later on, and it was actually okay. All right, but I learned from my mistakes. I didn't own it, though. <laughs> but, but, you know, there was this gap where I felt like everything was good. It was about an hour into school day. I'm like, well, that was easy. You know, just bring it on. I can't wait for fractions, you know. And, um, <laughs> but then I got in trouble, and, and I was exposed, and it was no fun. And I think that's where David thinks he's at. He feels like, all right, that was close. But then Nathan the prophet shows up. And Nathan had a word for David, and he confronts him. So the compromise led to a cover-up, but the cover-up had to be confronted. And that was no fun for David. And we're going we're gonna to take a step forward in a second and read what Nathan says to David. But this thing of owning mistakes, it takes a lot of humility to own your mistakes. But how many of you have ever just owned it early? And, and as soon as you own your mistake, it's like all the pressure is relieved. All the guilt is gone. I think not owning mistakes is a place of bondage. You could, you could throw the word confess there. Whenever you confess something, it's like you're set free from it. You know what I'm talking about? If you've ever been in a place where you just needed to own your mistakes and you didn't, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I believe it's a biblical principle of confession and owning mistakes And I believe that this is what David's charging his son Solomon to do. He's like, look, I regret not owning my mistakes early. Instead, I made it worse. Instead, that compromise, I I stacked on covering it up. And then, then from there, guess what had to happen? I had to be confronted. So today, if you want to live a life of success, you want to look back, you're going to have regrets. I, I can tell you, you will have less regrets if you own your mistakes. Amen? It's true. Own your mistakes. So then it goes on, and it's verse 3, the first part of verse 3 in 1 Kings chapter 2. He says this. He says, observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. Follow all of his ways. He's speaking of obedience here. He's like, son, listen to me. Obey God because I didn't always obey God. Obedience, obedience in the life of a believer is paramount. It's one of the things that we must be aware of. In this day and age, we can kind of justify things. All right, we justify away obedience. We have excuses for disobedience. And culture provides so many of those that we just kind of draft in behind those if we're not comparing ourselves to the word of God, right? So obedience is important. But I believe that David was looking back in his life and he was thinking about the times that he was not obedient, kind of like with Bathsheba, and the effects of that disobedience. Do you know that there's results of disobedience? There's effects of it. For me, whenever I I, I grabbed the calculator and did that, there was a delay. But the effects of the disobedience was punishment, embarrassment, right? There are effects for the disobedience that we live in. And I want to read to you what became 
of David's disobedience. Because it didn't just end with Nathan coming up and, and slapping David on the wrist. Saying, no, you shouldn't have done that. This is what happens. In 2 Samuel 12, chapter 10, this is Nathan. He says this, from this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. Notice where God says you have despised me. Whenever we disobey, whenever we step outside of what God has for us, we are despising him. We are, we are walking upon the grace of God. See, God was with David in every season of David's life. He was with him on the mountainside whenever he was a shepherd. He was there whenever he was anointed. God's favor was upon him. He was there when Saul was trying to chase him down and kill him for no reason. God was with him. God was with him through all of these steps of life. And then David turns and he, he murders a man. Verse 11, this is what the Lord says, because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. These are some intense words from God. And you know, whenever David is here and he's, He's charging his son Solomon. These words are echoing in his mind. Because this is what happens. David's kids paid the price for David's disobedience. David did too, but his family lived by the sword. David's first son named Amnon ended up falling in love with his half-sister. And he ends up taking her and raping her. He rapes his half-sister. And then not only is that bad enough... But then he wouldn't take her and cover her and, and provide for her as the law said he should. Yeah, one mistake. Okay, if you make that one mistake, then, then this is what you need to do to make up for that. He didn't do either. He shamed her. He left her out there. Her name was Tamar. But Tamar was David's third son, Absalom. That was his full sister. So Amnon does this disgraceful thing to his half-sister. But this is Absalom's sister. Absalom gets irate. Now, I wonder why David didn't step in and take care of business. I wonder why David didn't step up and carry out the judgment that Amnon deserved. I believe that there's a thread that runs through this whole thing of regret from David. I believe David knew all the things that his kids were going through was his fault. He knew it. He's like, man, if, if I wouldn't, have done that thing with Bathsheba, if I would have gone to war in the first place, Amnon wouldn't have done that. And then my kids wouldn't be dealing with all the pain and the, the torment that they're dealing with. I believe that there's a thread of regret through this whole entire story, this whole entire charge. Absalom ends up becoming so irate with Amnon that he, he plans a way to, to murder Amnon. And he does. He follows through with it. He murders Amnon. And then Absalom has to flee because now Absalom has a problem. All right, he committed murder, so now he's got to run. So now there's a rift between David and Absalom, all right? Absalom goes out. He ends up coming back, and he ends up winning over the hearts of the people, and he ends up overthrowing his dad's kingdom. So he's murdered, living by the sword, right? 
family living by the sword. He overthrows the kingdom, fulfilling the prophecy that his family would rebel against him. David's family would rebel against him. And then he does something that tops it off, that, that seals the deal with not only the prophetic word, but also seals the deal in the fact that there would be no reconciliation between David and Absalom. And that's where he takes David's concubines, goes up on that roof, and he sleeps with them in public view, which is exactly what Nathan had said. Now, I believe that David probably thought whenever that was spoken, that was some king coming in. That was some you know, person that he didn't know at that moment, but it would end up being his own son that would defame him. And really what that means, by the way, is, is by, by, by Absalom doing that, it was him staking his claim that he could own, that he could take what was that man's, which was his father, that he could, he could own it, which was the kingdom. It wasn't just something that was disgraceful in our eyes, you know, in, in our culture, but it was something that meant something in their culture in a, in a great way. And actually it was from the word of a man named Ahithophel and uh, it said the man's words sounded like they were almost from God. Absalom was, was receiving some very bad advice, but he was listening to it and responding to it. And so the sin of David was passed down and the effects were passed down to the entire family. They lived by the sword. They died by the sword. They rebelled against one another. So it was Amnon to Absalom. Absalom was the third son. The fourth son is Adonijah. And again, if you guys have been reading, you've been seeing all the details in these stories. It's insane. All the little, I mean, we could spend a long time talking about all the, the patterns and the situations were taking place. Now, just a side note, some of you are, are kind of like, what's the point of, of talking about all the details and knowing all these stories? This is the pattern of sin. This is the pattern of sin and how it destroys lives. And the patterns that we read in the Bible, we see day in and day out in our culture. Yeah, we might not say king this or king that, but it's daddy, it's mama, it's brother, it's sister, Ahithophel, it's bad advice. The patterns of sin look the same, it's just different names. That's why it's so important that we read the word of God to see what, what sin does, how it degrades and destroys lives. But this fourth son, Adonijah, David's getting old, and obviously some people thought that David was too old, like maybe couldn't take care of business anymore. Adonijah says, hey, look, I'm the fourth son. Everybody else is dead. By the way, Absalom ended up getting murdered. He hung in a tree by his hair. Uh, he had long locks. And so he was riding his mule, got caught up in a tree, and men ended up coming and killing him, which again, by the way, in case you didn't read, it was against the wishes of David. David didn't want Absalom to be killed even though he needed to be. But again, Amnon doesn't get taken care of. Absalom doesn't get taken care of. A man named Joab, who was with David through a lot of good times, but also bad times, who we'll, we'll mention his name later on in the story again. Joab ends up giving the word and killing Absalom against David's wishes. Here's David. His sons are dying left and right, living by the sword, right? Then Adonijah comes in. Adonijah declares himself king. It's just crazy. He's just like, like one day he just said, you know what? I think, I think I'll be king. He throws a party. He throws a party. He invites a bunch of people. He gets a little small army together and they just start throwing a party and he's just declaring himself king. He proclaims it out of nowhere. And uh, people start freaking out. 
people start getting confused. Bathsheba goes to David and is like, what's going on? Nathan's like, I don't think you know this king. And uh, because here's the deal. David had already proclaimed and said that Solomon, Bathsheba's son, would be king. Now Solomon was way down the line. He didn't have the rightful spot in the, in the throne as far as men are concerned. That's why Adonijah steps up. So Adonijah does a lot of things. But all of a sudden, David steps up. Daddy steps in, right? What is it like when daddy walks home? Daddy just opens the door and everybody kind of like, you know, pays attention. David, he anoints Solomon king. And whenever he does that, um, I love what the Bible talks about. It, it talks about everybody at the party, when they hear it, they all freak out. <laughs> they, all like, they all just run away. All right, it's like roaches to a light. Just, you know. And this is what Adonijah does. Adonijah runs to the altar and he grabs a hold of the horns of the altar, just like a little manipulator, right? Mm. Runs to the altar, grabs a hold, and, and he's like, oh, you know, begging for his life. And Sol- he was afraid of Solomon, and Solomon ends up sparing his life. He says, hey, man, listen to me. If you play it cool and you stop doing all the things you're doing, you'll be fine. And he's like, just stop it. Adonijah gets a major second chance. And Solomon, I believe, hey, David's still there. Man, let's, let's, I don't wanna, let's not kill Adonijah, all right? But you know what ends up happening? And I'm telling you all this because these, these are the effects of disobedience from David. Adonijah later on ends up asking Bathsheba to go to David and ask for one of David's concubines. Which again is exactly what Absalom did basically on the roof. Remember that? Here's Adonijah years later. Hey, Adonijah, just don't ruffle any feathers. Just stay low. It's going to be all right, man. You'll be okay. He can't. Why? Because there was some pride up in there. He wanted to be king. So you know what Solomon ends up doing? He says, forget about it. Go kill Adonijah. (laughs) And I'm reading the story. I'm like, yes, thank you so much. I mean, it's like a movie, right? Come on. You guys, you know you read the Bible too. Like, please get rid of this guy. And he does. He gets rid of Adonijah. Y'all remember Joab? Remember Joab? Joab joined Adonijah's rebellion. Joab was with King David. Joab was actually on the front lines whenever David was taking a nap. Joab was one of the people that put Uriah at the front lines. Joab was with David through all these things. Joab began to kill people even though it was not the king's wishes. Joab was also another little rotten apple. And then Joab ends up turning on Adonijah. I mean, I'm sorry, on on King David. Turns with Adonijah. So when Adonijah gets killed, guess what? Joab freaks out. What does he do? Well, it worked for Adonijah. So he runs to the altar and grabs a hold of the altar. And then Solomon's like, no, no, not going to work this time. Go kill him. <laughs> he says, oh, it's just a great story. Good, good story. What's going on? The sword, living by the sword. David says, listen, son, obey God. And I want to tell you, church, obey God. Read the word of God. Ask God to reveal what the word of God is speaking to you. And whenever God speaks to you, obey it. If God says, stop sleeping with that person, you're not supposed to be sleeping with them. And that's the conviction that's there. And God speaks that. He really doesn't have much else to say right now. Obey. Whenever he says, stop being dishonest in your business. Whenever that, there's that conviction that's there, whenever he speaks that, obey. Listen to the voice of God. 
Some people, God speaks, and then they, they're like, yeah, 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 I don't really want to hear that one. Speak something else. There's really not much else to say. Obey. I think that should be a warning to us. Church, listen, obey God. David didn't always obey God. He had to live with the sword in his family. And yeah, we might not see murder in our family. All right, that's why I said we would be really encouraged from David's family. I mean, unless there's been that in your own family. Hey, look, hasn't been in mine. So I think most of us are doing okay, all right? But I believe the effects of sin look a lot different nowadays. I believe there's just a lack of peace. I believe there's a lack of rest in homes. There's a lack of commitment in marriages. The effects of sin look differently, but they're just as destructive. We need to obey God. Because God's ways, listen, God's ways are better than your own. You believe that? We are going to be driven by what we feel, what we want, what we desire. But at the end of the day, what we want and we desire, default mode, is usually not right. God's ways are better than our own. It goes on, and in, in, again, in, in chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, it says this. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. If you do this, then the Lord will keep the promise he made to me. He told me, if your descendants live as they should and follow me faithfully with all their heart and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne. Come on, look, David says, look, if you will, if you will own your mistakes, if you'll obey God, I'm telling you, you will have success. You will be successful. How many of you want to be successful in here? Absolutely. We want to be successful in our lives. We want to be successful in all that we put our hands to. And I believe that this is an equation. Obedience, confession, repentance equals success. Now, there's two different types of, of success. There's worldly success and there's godly success. And, you know, worldly success isn't all bad. All right. Like, I mean, we talk about worldly success and it's like, oh, if you seek worldly success, you're you know, sinful. Well, no, not necessarily. It's not bad to have money. It's not bad to be successful in the things that you do and people see, right? But if it's just that, and that's the primary goal, then it is out of priority. It is, it is out of whack, and it will lead to things that you don't want to be, uh, you know, situations you don't want to be in. So you have, you have worldly success, and worldly success impresses people. Let's be honest. We look around, we look on Instagram, and we look around, and we're like, oh, man, wow. Now, that is a goal that I want to reach, right? You know, I mean, we, we're impressed by what people do or say. Godly success pleases God. It pleases God. Fruit of the Spirit. Come on, love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. All these things please the heart of God. I believe that, that uh, godly success looks like a godly heritage. Your kids, your family behind you, who you leave on this earth, a godly heritage would be a sign of success in God's eyes. These, these, but, but success is, is a, a mirage sometimes because in, worldly, uh, in the worldly eyes, you, you're like, you're trying to attain something, but you never get there. Am I right? You, you, you think you finally want that house. Like you think, like if I get the house, then I will have this sense of accomplishment, but it never, never happens. You get it and then it's like, there's a bigger one. <laughs> right? There's a newer one. All right, I want to fix a rupper. Oh, no, I don't. I want a brand new one, right? It's just this, this rat race. 
And it's stuff that you can see, but when it comes to godly success, it's things that you can't see, but you definitely feel the effects of. And God wants us to look at and strive for godly success. I'm telling you. So I've got two questions as we wrap up today. If you desire godly success, right? If you, if you, if you today feel like you, you have regret in your life, which we all do in some way, shape, or form, have regret in our lives. Some is more than others. Some it's, it's longer lasting than others. Can I just say something? Sometimes we make a really terrible decision. We make a really bad call and the regret is long lived. And you know, sometimes you can never actually make up for that. Like you just have to live with the effects. David just had to live with the effects of it. There was no like undo button, all right? It happened. God's judgment was passed. And David's looking at, at his life, and there was a lot of regret. But did you know that at the end of David's life, he's known as a man after God's own heart? Did you know that, that David had some revelations about who God was that, that we read about, and it affects our relationship with God? He's one of the first men that you read that says, I get it. You want to know me. Like you, you want me to, to, to want to please you, to want to obey you. You don't just want a bunch of sacrifices. You want my heart. There's certain things that David said that were really ahead of his time. Why? Because he loved God. He made a ton of mistakes, but he's still considered a success. And so I want to encourage you as we're wrapping up today that, that many of you in this place You've got regrets. You've got things that you're looking back on. You're like, man, if I wouldn't have done that, then I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. And that's probably true. But it's not done. Your story's not over. Don't let the enemy come in and begin to remind you of that over and over and over and steal life from you. Because as long as you got breath in your lungs, right, that we just talked about, you have praise to give. You have a purpose in your life. And it's important that you realize that. Don't give up. Don't regret your way out of a future, okay? Yes, you'll have regret, but you can still be a success. So, so two questions about, about today. If you, if you want success, if you, if you desire godly success, is this, what do I need to own? What mistakes do I need to own today? Just think about it real quick. What outstanding mistakes are there? What what? What relational problems are you encountering right now that you just need to own? Because I believe sometimes we live just underneath this, this facade, this weight of, of not confessing something, and it's not even real. It's not even needed. But we live under this weight whenever God's like, hey, look, if you'll confess your faults, you'll be healed. I believe some of you today need to confess some of your faults. Maybe whenever you leave here, you, you need to make some phone calls. You need to own your mistakes. And number two is what do I need to obey in? What areas of your life, come on, has God spoken to you? Has he, I'm talking like, like shined a flashlight on. And he's like, you need to deal with this. What areas in your life do you need to obey in? Because I know in my life, there's been times where I did not respond to that voice. I did not respond to that conviction. And it was almost like God's voice, God's leading, it's almost like it stalled right there. It was almost like, hey, look, we really don't have much else to talk about. 
And every time that I pray, God, is there anything in me? Yeah, this. Uh, is there anything else in me? Yeah, this. I don't think you get the pattern, Lord, you know? He's like, nah, this right here. What do you need to obey God in? Because I believe that this is a great equation that if we live by, it's a simple equation, by the way, very simple. Things with God are very simple. We make it complex sometimes, but it's pretty simple. Repent, confess, own, own those mistakes, and obey and keep moving forward. And I guarantee you, you'll look back in a year from now, if you truly apply these principles to your life, you'll look back in a year and you'll be closer to God, you'll be closer to people, and you'll seriously consider yourself a godly success. Amen? Now look, the first act of obedience that anybody must take is the first act of repenting of their, their sin nature. All right? Now, 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 we talked about it last week, but in case you weren't here, we're all born into this problem of sin. We're all born with a sin nature, a bent towards rebellion to God. Jesus came. That's what we're being, we sing about. It's what we talk about. Jesus came. And he died on a cross. He shed innocent blood, which was the payment of sin for you, for each one of us in this room. And, and today is, is no different than any other. He's offering his grace. He's offering his forgiveness to every single person here. And he did 99.9%. .9%. All we have to do is bow our hearts, bow our knees to him, submit our lives to him. And I want to give you that opportunity today. Because before you can start looking at being a success and all this kind of stuff, you got to look inwardly and say, where am I? Have I truly surrendered my heart to God? Have I truly made that first step of obedience? I want to give you that opportunity today. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm not going to embarrass anyone. I will not bring you up to the front of the room and, and, and do anything awkward. But in this moment, there's some of you that are, you're feeling conviction. You're feeling a tug on the inside of your heart. You know that you're not where you need to be, and God's calling you out. God's calling you out. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond. And the way that we're going to do that is, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And what that is, it's, there's, there's just something strong about admitting that that's me. Admitting that I'm far from God, I don't know him. And it's also something that you could look back in your life and say that was the moment that my life changed. So today, if you're in this room, you don't know God, you're far from him, you've been, been living a life of disobedience, you know it, you're just, you just don't know God, but you want to today. Right now, all over this room, would you just go ahead and raise your hand? Come all over the place, I see you. Yep, yep. Right here in the middle, over here in the back. Over here in the front. Come on, who else? Over here on the side, I see you. You need Jesus. Come on, the enemy's been, been attacking your life, has full reign in your life, no protection. But today is time, like the Bible talks about putting on Christ. Whenever we are in Christ, we're a new creation. The old things, those old regrets, that old lifestyle is done away with. He creates something new and unique. Anybody else in here, you need Jesus. You need to respond to him today. I see you, ma'am. This is what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray. And as I pray, I want each of you to, be, to pray to your God. 
in your own words and ask him to fill your life. Ask him, like the Bible talks about, removing that stony heart, that heart that can't respond to him and replace it with a heart of flesh, a, a heart that responds, knows, hears God. Let's pray together. Lord, I come before you humbly right now. God, you see me, you know me, you know my past. God, you know the regrets that I have right now. God, I am I'm casting all of those things before you. I'm casting all of those cares right at your feet because I can't handle them, Jesus. I can't handle the sin that I was born with, the sin that I am controlled by. Jesus, I need your salvation. I need to be released from sin. And right now, I ask for your forgiveness for the sin in my life. God, for the, the dishonor of your glory. God, I pray that right now you'd remove my sin, put it as far as the east is from the west. Change my life, change my heart. I receive your free gift of salvation and I thank you for it. God, would you take my life, would you use it for something that matters? Would you use it for your glory? I give it to you right now in Jesus' name. Now come on, as all of our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, I wanna pray over each of us in this room because I know that there's a massive amount of regret. Every single one of us have something that we can look back on right now. We can allow the enemy to condemn us about. We can allow the enemy to lie to us about it and say, that's, that's who you are. But according to the word of God, whenever you put on the righteousness of Jesus, you are a child of the King. And come on, you may make mistakes, but don't let the enemy allow that and use that to condemn you and keep you down because God has called us an overcomer. And so today I believe that some of you are living in regret. You don't consider yourself a success and God wants to change that thinking. So come on, right now, some of us need to repent. Some of us in this room right now, you haven't been obedient. Yes, you're a child of God, but you know that you haven't been living according to all that God has for you. Right now in this moment, let's just, let's just lay our hearts before God. Father, in every area, God, where we have not owned our mistakes, where we have not confessed and repented properly, God, I pray that you forgive us right now. As believers, God, sometimes we step outside, we step to the side, Lord, we step outside of your will. God, we come back right now. God, would you adjust our hearts? Would you adjust our thinking? Father, God, as we, as we own our mistakes, God, we commit right now to obey you. God, as you bring up things in our hearts and in our lives, Father, we will obey. God, we wanna be known as people who are obedient to your voice. God, not people that shirk you and put you to the side, but God, people that respond. So God, right now we commit to obey you because God, we wanna be considered a success. God, we wanna stand before your throne and hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. God, that's the, that's the words that we desire to hear. And so right now, God, we just, we pray that you'd expose anything that would keep that from taking place, God. Lord, help us as your people be successful in every area. God, in this world, let us be successful. God, everything that we put our hands to, may it prosper. God, our businesses, our families, our finances, God, everything that we do, every idea that we have, God, I pray that you put your favor upon it. And God, in our hearts, would you help us to be known as people that are successful in your eyes? God, we don't wanna just impress people. We wanna please you. So God, we lay everything before you today. God, we thank you that we do not have to regret. Although we know regret is inevitable, we know that it doesn't define us. You do. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Come on, look, can we give it up for those who gave their hearts to God for the first time today? Yes.
If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. If you'll text the word SAVED to 51660, we want to send you a link to our website that'll explain a little more about the decision you just made and give you some steps to take so that you can grow in your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv give, or you can text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.